Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki Rousseau, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to our phenomenal robotics community in Australia. Today, my guest is Adam Amos. Adam is a mechatronics engineer and the founder of Robotic Systems, an on-demand manufacturer based in Newcastle, New South Wales. Adam, welcome and thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, thanks, Nikki. Great to be here. Fantastic. Tell us a little bit about your journey leading to the forming of robotic systems. So um, I did mechatronics at university. So and I did uh, went to the University of Wollongong uh, and I was I went through one of the first uh, courses uh, and I was not a particularly good student. Uh, I took, a, you know, I took a four-year degree, turned that into six years, you know, lots of partying and carrying on and all that sort of stuff along the way. Um, but I was actually coming to the end of my engineering course and I discovered the world of engineering competitions. And I discovered this um, one particular competition that was run by the CSIRO called the Outback UAV Challenge. And, it, and it's, it's, it's been run for many years, only recently uh, been wrapped up. Um, and... And what you had to do in this competition was basically build a drone, take off on an airport in Outback Queensland, fly five kilometres into the bush, and when you get to the designated area, you know, search the ground for a lost bushwalker, and, um, you know, when you find him, drop a bottle of water to him, and whoever gets the closest gets the 50 grand. And I was just enamoured with this competition. I thought, wow, this is, I've, I can't, I can't, you know, I've got to go in this. But being the terrible student that I was, I had no idea. You know what to do um but i was desperate to go in the competition and um you know I, 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 I couldn't think about anything else and so i sat down had a bit of a think about what i was going to and i realized that um unless i unless i could I, I could buy a lot of the parts that i needed to go in the competition you know off the shelf i could buy um uh airframes i could buy motors i could buy cameras computers all that stuff but unless i got good at software I wasn't going to be able to bring all that stuff together to, you know, actually, you know, build a drone and make it do the competition and actually, you know, compete. So I was like, right, I've got to get good at software um, because, you know, I hadn't really learned too much in my mechatronics degree of, you know, mostly partying. <laughs> um, and which I think a lot of people have, you know, when I kind of tell people how I kind of ended up here, tell them about the partying and the university and, I think a lot of it resonates with a lot of people, uh, and a lot of some of the best engineers that I know had these three units. Uh, very long, winding, long-winded journeys that take <laughs> year, years and years to pay off after the fact. Um, but anyway, so I decided, all right, I'm going to get good at software. Um, and for everybody that's out there in the in the robotics world, they know there's about a there's a bunch of different languages. And uh, when I was competing in this competition, it was around you know 2007, 2008. There was not really um, any one dominant computing language kind of emerging as, as there kind of is today. And so there's a bunch of different languages out there, each one with its own ups and downs. And I was looking around to try to work out which one to, to learn. And I found this one particular programming language um, called LabVIEW. Um, it's pretty obscure today, um, but uh, its superpower um, is connecting the digital and the physical worlds together. It does it better than basically you know any other any other program language, you know, I've seen. And what what that allowed me to do was it kind of like it unlocked kind of how I thought 
like the world, like I, how I could think I'd pro- go out programming the world. You know, it was a graphical style language and really worked with how my mind uh, kind of thought. And so I thought, right, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to basically become the man in LabVIEW in Australia. I'm going to set out to become the, the objective, you know, becoming the, the number one LabVIEW program in Australia, you know, not because of I had a job or anything like that or a career, but because I wanted to go in this engineering competition. Um, and so I conned my parents into buying me a training package with, with the company that, that makes it, makes LabVIEW. And basically the deal was, you know, for um, six grand, you could do 12 months worth of training, as, as many training courses face-to-face, online, you know, all that sort of stuff as you wanted in that 12 months. And I just fucking went all in. I did everything. I learned every single bit of, I went to every single possible course. I can give every bit of material. I learned, this, I learned everything from the ground up, you know, for the sole purposes of entering in the Outback UAV Challenge. Um, and so, um, you know, I was away. I was in the competition. I was having a blast. I was learning LabVIEW, um, you know, writing code in the evenings, you know, finishing off university. I kind of turned a corner of the university and went from, like, not really being interested in it at all to then finally actually having an understanding of what I could do with mechatronics. Uh, and then I kind of turned it all around and, you know, finished the course. But, um, you know, I was competing in the engineering competition uh, in the Outback UAV Challenge you know, for years and years. Um, and I was extremely unsuccessful. <laughs> I never got the yeah. definition of done. I never won. Um, but along the way, I got really good at programming. I got really good at writing LabVIEW code. And, you know, I got so good, I could build my own autopilots and you know, machine vision algorithms and, and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, some guys are into, you know, modifying cars or going traveling or whatever. You know, I'm into competitive robotics and, you know, I, I still am. Um, but, you know, I really kind of found my feet in that engineering competition and you know that basically kind of gave me a skill that I didn't really have I kind of had a transcript you know it wasn't really worth the paper was written on but at the end of the course I ended up with this really niched up skill in this one particular programming language and so I got into my ideal job at the time after university which was being a LabVIEW consultant and I worked for a small business down in Sydney and I'd go around and I'd solve LabVIEW based problems in the industry and so I'd work for companies like Cochlear and Australian Defence Force and Talus uh, and uh, I would basically, you know, build, you know, do lots of test system projects, that sort of thing. And I was having a blast working at that small business. And I was there for about two years. Um, and unfortunately, after about two year marks, it went, it went under. And so I was in the Sydney office, which had about four people in it. This main office was down in Melbourne, had about sixteen. And when it went under, um, you know, I rang around all my customers and said, "Look, you know, I've lost my job. Come and get your project. It's over." Um, you know, the liquidators are coming tomorrow and they all basically said, you know, uh, look, finish my project and I'll pay you the remainder of money that's owing. And, you know, I was living at home with my parents at the time, you know, working at a parent's garage. So I basically pushed all the drone stuff over to one side um, and and robotic systems got started. And so that that's kind of how, how it happened. Um, you know, I you know, had a handful of projects, you know, I was building, I, I didn't have a lot of work. I had about $30,000 worth of work, you know, but which is not, that much you know in, in the grand scheme of things but when you're 25 and you know you live at home with your parents you have no overhead you don't even pay for food you know thirty thousand dollars top line you know revenue is a, a pretty pretty great profitability you know we get to and then nothing below the line no no deduction yeah. it's a phenomenal result financially uh, <laughs> but um yeah that kind of got me going open the door um and I kind of muddled through the, the $30,000 worth of work over about a 12-month period, which is really not fast enough. It's really yeah. quite a, a it's like $30,000 a year of revenue, not, not a good return. Um, but, 
But you were 25. Give yourself a break. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was yeah. 25 and and truly no idea. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I, I really, when I was working at home on my own, I really despised working alone. I really yeah. struggled with it. And I think a lot of, you know, junior engineers, which is not all, I was basically a graduate. You know, you put a graduate in a box, you know, with a project yeah. and no supervision, you, you basically get this like, you know, phenomenal amounts of effort goes on like huge effort huge trying huge care but like it's in the wrong direction or just like a pinball machine of just like changing swapping between tasks so quickly you know there's just no way to um you know actually get any progress and that's kind of what I felt is I I really would spend you know I'd work 16 hour days 18 hour days just continuously and I and I get about two hours of actual productive work done each day and that's what happens with you know unsupervised graduate engineers um is that happens all the energy in the world but yeah just misdirected um but yeah so I, I, I kind of muddled through all the, the little projects I had in my parents' garage over about a 12-month period. And, and then I got a bit of a break. And, and this is what brought me to Newcastle in New South Wales. Um, so um, there's a company in Newcastle. They're everywhere, but they're a big deal in the mining industry. They're called Orica. And what they do is they sell explosives to the mining industry. And they basically have these large garbage truck style vehicles that drive around the mine sites and they have all the raw materials in the back of them that go into uh, making explosives. It's used as part of the the mining process. And they have hundreds of these trucks. Um, And what Oracle wanted to do in 2013 was develop a new type of control system for their explosives trucks that would semi-automate the process of the mixing and the delivering of the explosives and putting it in the ground and then also create a whole bunch of new digital products for Oracle to sell on top of their explosives offering. And so um, basically uh, Oracle is one of those companies that um, outsources large projects to you know, um, a big company they get burnt and then they kind of insource them and they go on this like 10 year cycle. And in 2013, um, they'd just been burnt outsourcing the job to a, to a big company that spent a bunch of money uh, and that ended up with kind of no result and they were changing up their model. So uh, they still had the project that they wanted to do, um, but rather than outsourcing this large, high value, high you know importance project to a, to a third party, they were going to onboard smaller specialist contractors to be managed by their project managers to actually execute the work. And in 2013, uh, I ended up getting onboarded to Orica as robotic systems as a contractor um, to deliver the software and electronics component of this, of this project um, because they'd actually chosen LabVIEW as their control system language that they wanted to use. And despite being, you know, 26 at the time, I had a laundry list of LabVIEW-based projects um, including a fully featured autopilot that, you know, I could talk at any level of technical detail about, you know, of how it worked, you know, electronics, which is a little bit unusual because usually if you are going to be, you know, you're an engineer and you're out there doing technical work, you know, um, it's for somebody else and you really can't really talk at any level of technical detail about that to somebody else. It's not, it's not reasonable and, you know, the, your, your code of ethics. But when it's your own thing, it's a competition. You can talk about anything you want, right? It's your thing. Yeah. And I would, I, and, and it's how, honestly, I built a lot of my relationships with my customers when I was working down in Sydney was, that you know, I'd show up the site, breeze through the work that they had, and then we'd be talking about the autopilot and the drone competition for the rest of the time. Um, yeah. And, you know, so... <laughs> so <laughs> 
So just just on this drone competition that you didn't win, may I say that you sound as though you were an absolute winner because you went out and you got your robotic system started from that. Uh, you got another contract, and you know, like it just seems like in a way you're a winner. Not in the actual competition, but yeah. certainly the the vibe spin from it. Oh, 100 percent. And and when I I actually had the opportunity to meet uh, two weeks ago. Uh, one of the founders of that competition up in Newcastle. It's run by the University of Queensland. Um, and I went up there and, and, and I didn't actually wasn't on planning on it. I was at a, I was at a visiting a, a, a robotics facility and they, um, asked, you know, they asked, asked a similar question, how do we get started? And I told them, I said, well, I have guys that here that actually started that competition. Um, and they said, you know, afterwards is that the core intent of the competition is to not, you know, give away the $50,000 every year. The core intent is to spur this innovation. And so it was a really cool loop mm. to be closed um, for them to say, okay, well, actually, now here we go. We've got somebody that actually did turn that into something and, you know, uh, has turned that into, you know, a company that is doing stuff now uh, as a direct result, realistically, um, of the Outback UAV Challenge. And it's something I really kind of yeah. promote to everybody that's out there, you know, doing that's in university or even if you're not in university, if you're just, you know, in a, you're doing a job and you're maybe not that happy with it, you know, and you're like wondering how you can get out of it, how can you get more technical skills, you know, don't be asking your work about that. There are engineering competitions you can enter today in a, and you can start doing them on your own time and, and, and start leveling up your skills there. And I, and I truly believe that if you focus on leveling up those skills in through these competitions, you, you, your rate of learning is so high uh, as compared to going through, you know, a regular workplace that it's, it's um, you know, it's it's phenomenal. Like the rate of re in, like information retention I had um, in the competition is, is, is unmatched. Anything I did not, I was, you know, I'd read something at university 50 times and I still wouldn't be able to remember. I'd read something once off for the engineering competition for drone culture. Like it's, I still remember things today from it. Um, so anyway, that's a bit of a side, a side yeah. tangent, but yeah, it, it basically it all start from that. And, and I'm really encouraging anybody that's kind of, you know, um, you know, that's got a platform to con to continue these engineering competitions because there are direct benefits from it. And I, you know, I coach the Newcastle University engineering competition competitive teams now um, because I am not allowed to do any more technical work at robotic systems. I've been kicked out of it. But I still need to get my jollies somehow. So I go and harass the students there. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I <laughs> I, uh, I strongly recommend everybody to get in part, be part of it, at least at university stage. But definitely, definitely, if you're looking for a career upgrade, is, is a way to go about it. But Because, yeah, it was kind of like got me going and then that led into um, – you know, ultimately getting my first break, which was the opportunity with Orica uh, to be in charge of all electronics and software, because of directly as a result of um, of having that um, having that portfolio, which I would not have had um, if I'd just been you know done all the regular uni stuff, just be like everybody else. So um, you know, like that break ultimately with Orica. Then you know, fast forward to today, you know, we've deployed over a hundred plus vehicles now with Orica. Um, it's been translated into three different languages on three different variants of truck. It's become the global standard air control system language. It's responsible for moving billions of dollars of explosives every year. Um, and, and, you know, fast forward today for robotic system, we're a team of, you know, 18 engineers and scientists and artists, uh, and we developed all sorts of technology products uh, for the mining industry. Um, and, yeah, we're exporting to nine different countries, all, all kind of coming from that, you know, original core niche of competitive 
Um, so yeah, that that's kind of the story uh, up until today uh, where we're at. Yeah, you make you make me laugh. It's fantastic. Congratulations. I'm your client. Tell yeah. me, you specialize in accelerating the journey of an initial idea to working prototype, and I rock up at your office. What do you do with me? So the first thing we do is we take your idea and start putting a few stresses on it. And what we try to do is work out, is this actually a commercially a great idea? Uh, and once we've figured out that, you know, is this, you know, if we've, you know, abracadabra, like built your product, here it is in front of you, you're going to go away and sell it to your customer. You know, how much are they going to make or save by buying this thing? Um, we focus on building industrial tech. Um, we don't do any consumer stuff. And the reason we don't do any consumer tech is because it's a, a totally different way of evaluating products and product design journeys. They're very different to what um, what you would do for industrial. So we're focused pretty much on, on building industrial kit. And so uh, once we've kind of validated, you know, you've got a bit of an idea of the commercials, what we then do is we we do go through a design phase where we basically unpack the unpack what you need to do into uh, how we're going to go about doing it. And um, so a couple of steps, uh, basically, you know, take fairly complicated processes of designing new bits of tech and then bring it. Uh, you've led robotic systems to be recognised by Deloitte as being in the top 100 fastest uh, growing hardware businesses in APAC 2021, as well as robotic systems customers being awarded four patents for techs developed on their behalf. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Um, yes. Yeah. So basically we had some, that success came from many years of abject failure. Um, so um, robotics has been now going for 10 years, 11th year operation. Um, for the first seven years of robotic systems life, we weren't very successful. Um, you know, we had some initial success, you know, landing the jobs with Oracle and they're kind of getting the break. Um, but, you know, once we kind of got a bit of that break, I then started to get a bit lost in what it is we actually do. You know, I got it in my head that um, we needed to get away from our, you know, services-based uh, offering and kind of go more into the, the product side of things. We need to start developing our own products. And so to, and products were the way for us to, you know, uh, you know, strike it big. And so we started building a whole bunch of, little pretty random products you know widgets and doodads i'd call them and we built these like uh you know circuit boards that you know did various things we built a giant drone aircraft that had you know eight 29 inch rotors um and we built a product called rapid scan and what rapid scan does is our most notable product um was basically it shoots out it's a it's a mobile 3d laser scanning and what it does is it shoots out 600,000 lasers a second all around it and combines each one of those laser shots with a gps measurement and essentially makes a three-dimensional picture of the world around it as it moves through it so it's a really cool piece of tech uh works great all the things we built we all the products we made for ourselves uh worked great problem is nobody wanted to buy it nobody wanted to buy any of them and um a few years ago um just before we got those awards from Deloitte um we really weren't in such a good spot robotic systems was not in a good spot not in good shape you know we um you know were four guys um we worked you know 16 hour days uh we earned very little money 
Um, and, you know, we're working on these products you know, continuously that nobody wanted to buy. And, you know, when you're working on something, you're adding a feature after feature to it, you're showing it to people and, you know, you, you can't get an order out of them. And you begin to realise that the next uh, feature you add to this thing, to this product, probably isn't going to be the one that unblocks the purchase orders. And so um, we kind of started to hit what I call rock bottom, Um where, you know, we really weren't really getting any traction with these products. Um, we had really nothing to show for it. And so I started to think, you know, maybe something's wrong with these products that isn't technical. And because um, I always had in my head, that, you know, if you just do the best technical work, you know, something, 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 you know, profits will will flow. Um, and after a while, we realized that that probably wasn't the case. And uh, <laughs> And so I started hunting around to try to work out what was, wrong with these products and what we found was a program run by the csiro which still run today called on prime it's a really good one everybody should go check out on prime and what on prime is all about is finding pathways for impact in industry for fundamental research and what you're meant to do is have a little bit of a discovery in a lab or something like that and then you're meant to go away and test the market to work out if your product is actually going to be a success or your idea is going to be a success and you should go away and turn it into a product, you know? So you're meant to do this thing called custom discovery, which we'd never, uh, this thing called custom discovery. <laughs> um, and uh, so we went into the program into on prime with, you know, a finished product, which is kind of asked backwards. Um, you're meant to go in with just an idea or a bit of a discovery in a lab. Um, and all they want you to do and all they teach you about non-prime, the core of it, they teach you about many things, but the core of it is customer discovery, um, which you don't get taught about in mechatronics. Mechatronics is no, there's zero seconds of the course is about customer discovery, um, yet um, we are expected to, we all want to design products and, prod, you know, do things like that. That's why I think a little bit of mechatronics. Um, so anyway, they want all they want you to do in prime is pick up the phone and talk to 100 potential customers to validate if your ideas actually got any legs before you go away and, you know, build it. And so uh, we'd obviously finished the product. We had it then. So we were like, all right, what, am I gonna, what are we going to do here? Uh, we were so frustrated with where we were at, you know, um, financially and kind of, you know, with the product itself that we said, all right, we're going to pretend like rapid scan doesn't exist. Like we haven't finished our product. We're going to pretend it's just an idea and we're going to go away and, and do the work. And uh, we did that. We picked up the phone. We talked to 89 potential customers in the end. Um, but I got to about the call 40 mark and realized I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A bit of an epiphany, as they say. <laughs> bit of an epiphany, yeah. Bit of an epiphany. It was, it was more like um, getting slapped in the face 89 times with a big wet fish, you know, by the by the potential customers because they'll tell you your idea is is it and not just be like, here's my opinion. It's like it's and here's some irrefutable evidence. <laughs> and you're supposed to be the mechatronics engineer. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And 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 they tell you these things and you're like, fuck, that's right. You're I, right. I, I could have thought of this myself. Mm. yeah because it's it's tangential this this customer discovery thing is like a it's really hard i think for a lot of mechatronics people because um you know us mechatronics mechatronics architects and engineering archetypes you know guys like that and girls like that you know 
I'd rather sit down, I used to rather sit down and write four years worth of code than pick up the phone and talk to a potential customer because yeah. the code's never <laughs> going to tell me. I don't me, want to talk to anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The code's never going to tell me my baby's ugly, right? Yeah. <laughs> Personally, on the phone, they could. They could. Same with the code. <laughs> they feel nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They feel nothing, right? And, <laughs> and so the comfort zone, I think, for a lot of techos is, is just being, being, you know, staying with your code and or staying with your te- tech and just being like, I'm just going to keep doing the tech, 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 tech. As long as I do the best tech, you know, somehow money will flow. Um, and I've done the experiment. I can tell you for yeah. certain that's not the case. Um, and the <laughs> better way to do it and the, 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 and honestly, it's, it's, even though it's like really awkward, pick, picking up the phone and talking to talking to people and, you know, them telling you your baby's ugly potentially. Um, I can definitely say that get it, that conversation is way better than the feeling when you realise that four years of your life and hundreds of thousands of dollars have been for nothing and never going to be yeah. for anything. Like that, yeah. that feeling's way worse. That's way more humiliating. And all yeah. the times you've like worked late at night, you know, all the times you maybe haven't done stuff or haven't hung out with your partner, are now yeah. because you're working on this thing are for nothing and they're never going to be for anything they're for a complete fabrication that you've told yourself you've lied to yourself yeah. you've lied to everybody around you and mm. and you know that kind of it was so serious or what existed at the time where it was pretty much a fork in the road situation for us um yeah. i was faced with kind of this situation where now i'd been you know i'd had irrefutable evidence that you know all the effort and all the time and all the late nights and all that stuff was, was for nothing for these products you know I was kind of like, well, what do, I, what do I do here? Do I do I kind of shut robotic systems down and kind of free the people that I created this prison for um, yeah. under a complete lie? Like, you know, like a, like on a complete just my own fantasy of this product that would be, you know, a success. And, and you know, it's it, it, and it's it so easily happens to so many engineers, right, because, you know, somebody says, oh, it'd be so cool if this could do this. And you go, well, I'm an engineer. I, I just want to solve a problem. I don't actually don't really care what the content of the problem is i just want to yeah. solve a hard problem just off you go you charge down that path yeah. and then when you bring it back to that person say here it's done they say oh, i don't want to buy it <laughs> so <laughs> it happens it happens all the time it's my problem <laughs> yeah yeah it's not, exactly so it happens all the time and, yeah. and i think a lot of engineering effort gets wasted on these sort of things and so so yeah i was like all right fork in the road shut robotic systems down um or all alternatively I do I go away and you know sit on top of a mountain and take some acid and try to work out what the point of my life in this business actually is because you know this <laughs> this is surely not it um this is this is this isn't it working all these hours having you know on Macca's wages doing all this complicated stuff yeah. is really you know no way to live um and so I was like all right I really didn't want to go back and shut the shut robotics town you know go work in corporate um uh thought right, I'm going to you know go to the mountain and the acid path and and when I went up in the mountain and the acid path I kind of realized that you know I thought about all the times we'd had a really big success and all the times that we'd basically you know eaten shit and worked out that you know every time we'd really stuffed it up we'd have a big disaster when we had been when we'd been the guys to try to work out the what the product mm-hmm. you know what are we building and why we had no um every time we'd done that and then done the it had been a huge disaster. And then every time that somebody else brought us the what, somebody that actually did understand a business case, did understand a, a problem, they brought the, 
the what, and we just put the how, brought the how, put those two things together would, you know, change industries. Um, and, and so mm. when I had that realization, basically I, you know, came down from the mountain, so to speak, um, with, you know, the what, the why, the who, and it's basically what we do is uh, we just accelerate the design and manufacture of other businesses' tech hardware. So somebody else brings us the what. Yeah. Um, we take them, take them on the journey from that idea point or business case or wherever they're at through the point of manufacturing and so they can sell their product in their industry. Um, and once we got clear on that, um, that's where we had the big round. That's where we went from four staff to 18 staff, um, you know, got the award from Deloitte, got all the patents, got all that stuff. And that's only really been in the last few years. So Robotic Systems Wars is 10 years old. It's more like, you know, three years old. It's de- you know, seven years oh. of just fucking around. Um, and then, <laughs> and then, and then three years. And then of having actually, a you know, moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a very slow learner, right? So it was like my second, <laughs> second protracted engineering degree. <laughs> Listen, you must go back to the University of Wollongong, which, by the way, has got an excellent engineering department under yeah. Professor. Uh, and you must go and share this wisdom with him and tell him i was a student here i must come and tell your students this stuff yeah absolutely i, I mean i i university of Wollongong is a good university i've no all of the failures my failures university are my own um i yeah the university is i think uh does a great job down there i think uh, i recently drove through there uh, on my way to a holiday and it's it's had a significant airing facilities um so yeah i'll definitely have to take you up on that introduction <laughs> i'm gonna organize this i'm gonna let uh, go sal know he has a wayward student of yours he's got some real insights listen yeah. you're talking a lot of events adam um what uh, number one how do you fit it into your schedule because you're pretty busy and you're a, a new dad so like you you mm. to, how do you manage it um well, with the ba- on the baby front, I have a very um, a very uh, committed wife yeah. uh, who is bearing, who's carrying the team at the moment. Uh, he's only my son's only four months old at the moment, so he's in, um, it's quite difficult. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's he's he's, he's okay. Um, yeah. So all the events of these are that my role has at robotic systems quite significantly. Um, so kind of before I alluded to, you know, I've been made post technical which means I no longer have do any of the code and stuff like that. And my role is um, is to get out there and, and essentially attract uh, the right customers and team for robotic systems so we can scale. So uh, speaking at events, doing podcasts, all that sort of stuff uh, is 100% of my remit. I'm kind of like the cheerleader out there, you know, waving the pom-poms. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if anybody wants to talk at any events, hit me up. Um, yeah, I'm always up for a chat. And talking about podcast, you've got the first sale podcast. Tell me how, how's that going and where can people find it? Uh, the first sale podcast is available on Spotify, everywhere where you can get podcasts. Um, basically, what the first sale podcast is about, probably going to rename the podcast soon um, because what it's all about is how to build tech hardware. So mm-hmm. there's hardware is often a dirty word in the world of you know tech development. Nobody wants to build hardware because it's it's hard it's very very hard um it's all of the problems that go with um that go with software plus the added uh horrendousness of hardware development which is often like a waterfall style in nature so in terms of so um it's very difficult 
And what I want to share on that podcast is the insights that we've gleaned and, and what our customers have gleaned and uh, people that have actually successfully developed tech hardware, you know, what are the trials and tribulations that go along with that to, to share um, to share with the, you know, the wider community, um, hopefully focusing, you know, getting a lot more attention out of Australian guys because I believe that, you know, Australia is a place where it is possible to be very good at developing tech hardware. Um, and it's all about sharing insights from that. Fantastic. I'll put the show, I'll put a link in the show notes for anyone interested in. Um, first sale at the moment is what it's called. So in terms of business, what do you think have been the biggest challenges for you? Um, biggest challenges are staying focused on what actually it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's easily said difficult to do um, because you're in it. You're kind of, you can, you can look back objectively at, you know, how things, you know, going, it's very easy to critique somebody else's business, but when you're in your own business, it's quite hard. This is always kind of, you know, opposing forces everywhere. So I spend a lot of my time trying to, you know, what is, what is actually the most important problem to solve right now? And I think it's true for everybody, uh, regardless of what you're doing is, is trying to prioritize that, that next problem to solve. And I wish, you know, um, somebody said to me once, it's like, what is the superpower they wish they had? And they, they said, um, basically, they just want to know what to do next. Yeah. And then, you know, not invisibility or, you know, super strength, just what to do next. And, and I really resonate with that. So I spend a lot of my time sitting yeah. here just thinking, all right, trying to take in all this information, just trying to work out, you know, what is the next most important problem to solve? Because I've, I've wondered, my biggest blunders have been when I've, um, not when I've, I've, I've never, never suffered from inaction. I've always suffered from solving the wrong problem at the moment. Yeah, that that's, uh, self-awareness and um, experience is very valuable. You know, you've, you, you know, you talk about companies being an overnight success. So 10 years, here's an overnight success, um, three years actually. But, you know, you want to say to people, it's a bit like raising kids and you want to say to them, just trust me, I'm your mother, your father, don't do this. I want, you don't need to repeat this lesson. But in essence, sometimes you just have to learn the lesson. And, you know, no amount of um, people telling you maybe A, B and C, although maybe you would have listened, but sometimes just learning your own stuff, that's really the invaluable. And that actually sets you up for success. Mm. Yes. Yeah. The self-reflection. Critically, yeah, yeah. Mistakes are okay um mistakes without reflection that's inexcusable so as long as you're reflecting on the failures you're all good (laughs) yeah and you can go okay listen this was most definitely my fault so um do you have a mentor advisor um yeah so we've got um we've had a couple of different advisors over the years um and now right now yeah, I'd say in, to anybody that's looking at getting advisors and things like that, I'd say advice is um, kind of temporal. So what I mean by that is it's you want to make sure you're getting an, an advisor that is right to where you're at in your business. You don't want to get an advisor, like say you're just starting up, right? You, you're, you're a one-man band or two-man band. You want to get advice from somebody that has helped people kind of transition from that one-man band stage to, you know, whatever the next stage is, is what you're, whatever you're trying to achieve, like it's five, seven people or whatever it might be. You don't want to get somebody in that's kind of, you know, mentoring people from that, trying to get from the 20 people to, um, you know, 50 people stage because the problems are different. You know, the advice you'll get is not relevant. Um, things change over time. So 
Uh, we've kind of had a couple of different mentors over the years. Um, and yeah, we've been lucky enough to actually have our mentor that we got introduced to through on prime um, work with us uh, recently um, again on kind of helping us go to the next stage, which is kind of not so much is, which is completely non-technical. It's all about risk and financial and that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's, which is, which is very different. If you talk to me three years ago, whether I'd be doing that sort of stuff, you know, all day, um, you know, I would have said there's no way I'm technical till I die. Uh, but now I don't even know how we actually got yeah. to this point without it. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so a shout out to your tech, all your advisors out there. If they listen to this episode, here's your shout out. Um, we're in order to um, that you guys have signed up as a supporting member of Robotics Australia Group and the network. So thank you. Um, why do you think this was important for you as a company? Um, a couple of reasons. We've, we're on a bit of a drive now to get, um, firstly, just from robotics point of view, um, being connected to the networks gets us some exposure. And what we've learned with connecting with our uh, connecting with people is that it's it's quite difficult to do, um, and the best way we've been able to find it is through these sort of channel partners like um, industry groups and things like that. So that's that's why the company is a part of it. Um, my reason is because I love tech, um, and finding out what cool stuff is going on is is of personal interest to me a lot. And then the third reason is kind of the um, you know the glow like the uh, the rising tide raises all boats, right? So um, cool stuff going on in Australia. Um, Australia being associated with cool stuff is advantageous to all of the boats, you know, in in the river or whatever. Um, and Robotics Australia is one of the things that that we can be a member of Robotics Australia and, and participating in stuff is one of the things that we can do to 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 help that. Fantastic. And I think to all companies out there, you know, it's an ethos of uh, giving back and. Uh, we are collective. We we simply all have to collaborate. So, Adam, I'm mindful of your time. Any closing thoughts that you'd like to leave the audience with, and uh, where can they reach you? Um, so they can reach us at roboticsystems.com.au, um, and here's on the contact form. You can also look out for us any robotics Australia events or any of the mining industry events, right? Almost all of them. Um, and or if you're in Newcastle. Um, please feel free to hit us on the contact form on the website. We'd love to organise a tour uh, of our workshops here and show you some of the cool stuff that's happening. Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Uh, I love your honesty and um, I'm sure it's going to resonate with some of our founders out there. Um, it's, I'm laughing at your journey, but um, it's just because you tell such an amusing story. I'm sure it hasn't always been so amusing. Uh, no, that's it. But I feel like I, I, the reason I tell this story just completely candidly is because it's just it's just what happened, and um, it's uh that's the mechanics of what occurred, uh, and 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 it's shaped who we are today. There's no, it's written into the tapestry of what we do and how we do it. Um, so that's just, just is what it is. It's unfortunate. I wish I had some sort of divine intervention. You know. Harvard Business School strategic vision, you know, from day zero, but it's just simple. And I think that's the case for a lot of other businesses out there um, that maybe have similar journeys to me. And I think particularly for techos, um, we, you know, whenever I I tell the story of robotic systems, a lot of people have actually said, I'm actually, I'm at this point right now. Somebody just told me they'd totally buy a thing if I went away and built it and I'm six months into building it. 
Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm yeah. Like, Let me tell you a story about rapid scan. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> such valuable advice. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, and thank you for making yourself available today. No worries. To our audience, thank you so much for joining us on this uh, journey today. Uh, reach out to Adam, connect with him, follow them on LinkedIn, their page. Um, check out on our news YouTube channel. There's some of uh, their work there as well. And wherever you're on the world, I hope you're well and look after yourself. And I look forward to your company again next time.